Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Hey, before uh, I jump into this talk, I want to just kind of give you a little, maybe a little help in uh, just a way to kind of take this series, take it home with you, and and to maybe even take some of these concepts and really dig in deeper than what I can through the context of these talks. And uh, outside of the Bible, obviously, there have been three uh, distinct resources that have shaped these series. And this series is is mar- it's bring a purpose to bringing purpose to relationships, marriage, and singleness. So all of those things, so we're wanting to rethink and really reshape maybe what you do and maybe to just critique and make better what you already do. And here are three books who have helped me um, to do that, and maybe these, I believe, are all available at the Christian Bookstore, uh, with the exception of this one. You'd have to get this online. Um, but uh, all three of these books are very distinct. I'll go through them very, very quickly because it's taking, it's eating into my time right now. So I'll go through them uh, fast and furious. This book is called Sacred Marriage. It's by Gary Thomas. This book is a very a theologically driven book, and he loves like church history. So he brings a lot of of church church. I just made up a word, church historians, um, into this, but brings it very, uh, it's very uh, deep theologically, and uh, you're going to see this specifically in two weeks, why this is important, uh, because uh, even marriage and the purpose of singleness is one of uh, theological base, not just about you. It's not about you, in case you didn't know. And then this one here is called You and Me Forever, written by Francis Chan and his wife, Lisa Chan. Um, this one is a little bit different. This is written kind of with the pastor's heart. So if I were going to like write a book, which I might one day, but it's not going to be called this because it's already been written. Um, if I ever wrote a book on marriage, it would kind of feel like this. He is uh, a pastor at heart, and it comes through in that way. And the purpose of this book is so uh, that you realize marriage just isn't about um, time on earth, that it's a matter of preparing one another um, for, the, for eternity. Um, that's why it's called Marriage in Light of Eternity. I didn't come up with that on my own. So uh, you, yours, you and me forever, Francis and Lisa Chan. And then this one is uh, by Jimmy Evans. It's called uh, that right there. You can read it. I won't have to tell you. And he is a counselor. So this is written more of like with a counselor's touch of uh, marriage and fam- uh, marriage and family counseling. So this is kind of the, the angle that he approached it from. Three completely different books. All of them have informed all of these talks. So if you want to go deeper into, into any one topic that's being discussed, you can do so through these books. Well, we, uh, we're tracking on. This is week three of our series called Rethink. And I've already given you the premise for all of this series. And this morning, I welcome you open to open your Bible up to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. We're actually going to be in this main section of the Bible for the next three weeks, counting today. Um, and we're really going to specialize and really kind of dig into one verse. We're going to do a reading just so you get kind of the flow and context of this verse. But then we're going to land on Ephesians 5.21 and we're going to just bore down deep into that. Um, and I believe that this, this talk will be incredibly, incredibly helpful. But I will warn you with this. The topic that is going to be discussed today is something that you do not instinctively like. Because it's really hard. Um, the topic today is mutual submission. Mutual submission. And, and that's really the, the way, and you're going to see this in the scriptures, it's what all Christians are supposed to do. So 
Next week, we're going to see that this idea of mutual submission doesn't necessarily, doesn't carry into the roles in marriage, because we're going to see that specifically next week. It doesn't really carry into the roles in marriage. Really, mutual submission is a way of life for all followers of Jesus. For all followers of Jesus, we are all to mutually submit to one another. And yet, I know that it's, and I can see your facial expression, you've kind of heard those terms before, and you're already starting to bristle up a little bit, and I get that. But I want you to know this, you already do this to some degree. You already do this to some degree. If you're married, right, before you were married, it was all about you. You could do whatever you wanted to do, men specifically. You would go in and you, you'd be able to go in and you'd get ready before you had to go somewhere. And it would take you, uh, let's just say all of two minutes, right men? Um, is that right? Like all of two minutes, you go in there, you wet your hair, you do your thing, hopefully brush your teeth, but you know, a little leeway on that. And yet it would take you two minutes and then you'd be done, right? So now what happens? You have to already submit to your wife. Because when she wants to get ready, you could be ready in two minutes and be out the door, but you have to submit to her to put your needs beneath her needs. And when she takes a half hour, you just have to have find something else to do for those other 28 minutes, right? So you already do this to some degree. Parents, 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 parents. We as parents know this better than anyone. As soon as you bring a newborn into your house... You are reminded very, very quickly on the first night that it's not about you, that your life has officially changed forever, right? When you bring a newborn into the house, specifically on the first day, and everything's great. Before then, you'd go to sleep at night, and everything would be great, and you'd go to bed, and then you'd wake up later in the morning or whatever, and it was all about you. And it was, you're married, and it's like, oh, honey, everything's great. But then as soon as you have a child, and you go to bed, and you go to bed later, than what you normally would. But then three hours later, when it's time to feed, what do you have to do? You have to submit to the needs of this little baby. And all of a sudden, you're reminded it's not about you, so you have to submit yourself to the needs of that child. But here's how it works out. Now, here's how it worked out in our house. I don't know about yours, but this is a little confessional time from a pastor's heart to your heart. This is the way it used to work. You know, for a while, both of us would wake up. Like when our, our kids, and we're so in the realm of this. My son just turned 19 and he graduated this weekend. And, and been so reminded and seeing like his pictures of him as a baby. So I remember when, when he came home from the hospital and all of that. And you know, he's, he's little bitty and he'd wake up in the middle of the night. And it was so great. It was so cute. We'd both wake up in the middle of the night with him. And we'd go in and kind of dote over him and do whatever we had to do. But then about two weeks later... That's about all it takes. You're both exhausted. You actually, you actually haven't had a full night's rest in two weeks. As a matter of fact, if you were to accumulate all the hours of sleep in that two, in that two weeks, it may have been ten hours total, counting naps during the middle of the day, right? Is this real or not? And then two weeks later, you hear the baby cry in the monitor. And you both, thinking you're slick, this is what we did. Thinking we're slick, you hear the cry on the monitor, but then all of a sudden you wake up, but then you close your eyes. (laughs) As if to not let the other one know that you just got woke up, because if they look at you, and because you think in your in your mind, if they see you sitting there, lying there, sleeping oh so peacefully, that they'll get up instead of you. (laughs) Right? Isn't that how it works? 
But we're so forced to submit. So submission is something that we do. If you are, and I consider this is a, a gentlemanly thing to do. If you open the door for a lady, you are submitting yourself to their needs in just a small way. So we do submit. But as we kind of dig into this, really what I want you to have help with is not the things that you already do. But my hope at the end of this talk is that your marriage, that your relationships, in, if you're married or single, that you would understand as a follower of Jesus Christ that we're supposed to mutually submit to one another and specifically when somebody offends you. You see, when, when everything's going great, it's so easy to submit to your spouse, isn't it? When things are going great and everything's going wonderful and, and, your, and, and your wife says, hey, um, would you rub my feet? And you're like, you know what? Everything's going great. Everything's amazing. You made a great dinner. You cleaned it up. I sat on the, I sat on the recliner. I sat there like a carrot you know, for a couple hours and all those things. Would you rub my feet? And you're thinking, oh, of course, and you'll work those feet, won't you? You'll work them. But then what happens when you have an argument over dinner? What happens then? What happens if... If, if you just had all kinds of issues with your kids and now all oh, there's just this confusion in your house and you're sitting there and you're feeling like, oh, I just want to this moment to be about me. I want to be able to sit down and just kind of push away everything else. You see, in those moments, it's incredibly hard to be submissive to one another. So my hope is at the end of this talk that not only in the good times would you submit to one another's needs but especially when you're tired, especially when the person has offended you, especially when you feel like that you're at your wit's end. And at the end of this, you're going to see that the way of Christ is so, it is so radical that it's supposed to transform even the basis of all of our relationships. So this just isn't about marriage. This is about somebody who's a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you've kind of come in here, you've got invited by someone to come in here or maybe to, to hear this message, you just kind of find it online, I want you to know, even if you're not a Christian, you can use this teaching. You can use this teaching today. As a matter of fact, this, this topic is something that you can use before you leave this room. It's so helpful and it's so basic and yet becomes so difficult. Let's go to the Word. Ephesians 5. We're going to start in verse 15, but like I said, we're going to camp out in verse 21. But this will allow us to kind of see the context. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. He kind of uses this, this, this language of parallels. You kind of see two contrasting things throughout this whole text. He says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. He says, okay, so there's, there's a way, Christian, to live as unwise, and then there's a way to live that is wise. But he says in verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. There, he's playing the contrast again. He says, therefore, do not be foolish. He says, there's a way of a fool... And he says, but then there's the other way that knows what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Here's the contrast again. I love the words here. He says, don't get drunk on wine. Because he, he's saying something that we already know to be instinctively true. Because when we, we become drunk, it isn't us talking anymore, is it? It's the booze within us. And now, 
He uses this illustration. He says, but if you have the Holy Spirit residing within you, the Holy Spirit takes over. Verse 19, speak to one another. There's four things he, he gets to in the, in the way of following Jesus. He, and he breaks it down in four different ways. We're going to camp out in the last one. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay, got it. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. That's the second thing. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's the, the third thing. He says, for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last one, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, this is such an important truth because that means when your spouse offends you, when your co-worker offends you, when your boss offends you, when your brother or sister offends you, you submit to them not because of who they are. You submit to them out of reverence for what? Christ. You submit to them out of reverence for Christ. You see, what I love about this, and Paul digs into this. This would be a wonderful book for you, this, this letter uh, to the church in Ephesus. It would be a great thing for you to study on your own. I mentioned this last week. But even the chapter before this, he goes through in, in just a little bit different angle in telling us how to live the Christian life. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 1 through 3, he kind of tells us who we are in Christ. And then in, in Ephesians 4 through 6, he tells us that how we should live in response to who we are in Christ. So Ephesians 4 through Ephesians 6, it tells us how to follow, how to, how to govern our relationships. And it tells us here how to submit. Now submission is this, it's not to break your will. It's not to break your will. You see, submission, get this please, submission is not something that you can force upon someone else, okay? We're not talking about the UFC, we're not talking about some MMA move here, and we're trying to get somebody to tap out and submit. We're not, that's not what this is. As a follower of Jesus, we walk into every relationship with the idea that I'm going to submit to your needs, that I'm going to put your needs before my needs. That's what the early church did. If you go through and in Acts, the historical account of the early church in Acts, that's what they did. Anytime they would see somebody that was in need, they, they surrendered themselves, they subjected themselves, they submitted themselves to the greater need of someone else out of reverence for Christ. It wasn't about them. As a matter of fact, it said that, that any belongings they had, they kind of threw it into the, into the pool and created a, a pool so all of that would be dispersed out to meet the needs of the people. And that's what we're supposed to do. But why don't we? The reason why we don't is because people do offend us. It's because at times life is hard. And because at times our boss is a jerk. Is that real? But we don't submit in those situations, because of the person that we're submitting to, we submit, as it says in Ephesians 5.21 that's on the screen right now, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. Think of what Christ has done for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should know this more than anyone else. Think of what Christ has done for you. It seems almost cliche because we hear it all the time, but Jesus bore out his life, his blood poured to be submissive to you. Because the need that you and I have is to be reconciled, to be brought back into relationship with him. And the only way that would be possible is by what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. So, 
when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it should be with a, with a thought of what the gospel of Jesus Christ has done for you. So it's not about the person that you're submitting to. It's actually not about your husband, your wife. It's not. It's not about them at all. It's not about your co-worker. It's not about, not about your kids. It's not about your friends. It's not about your pastor. It's, it's so countercultural. But the way of Jesus and the way that we're called to live is to spend our lives to help others. Our life is a currency to be poured out for those in need. Submitting ourselves, seeing a need and meeting the need. Seeing the need and meeting the need. The, the word submit, and, and it's used several times in the scriptures, but every time that, that this word hippotasso, is, it's a Greek word that is used, every time that's word, it means to submit, submit to a given authority. For instance, in Luke 2.51, it says that Jesus was subject to the authority of his parents. He was subject to the authority of his parents. The demons were subject to the disciples when they were cast out in Luke 10.17. Citizens are to, be, are to be subject to the governing authorities. Subject to the governing authorities. It says that in Romans 13, verse 1, and then verse 5. The universe is, is in subjection to Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 27, also in Ephesians 1, 22. And also that Christ has been subjected to God the Father. Subjected to God the Father. He submitted to God the Father. It says that in 1 Corinthians 15, 28. Also, we see that when Jesus said, Not your will be done. Or rather, he says, Not my will be done, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When he's saying that, Jesus is saying, I am submitting to you, God the Father, so that, so that we as followers of Jesus Christ could come to him and the people in the days following that who could come to Jesus because without Jesus submitting to God the Father, we would have no way of being in right relationship with God our Father. Church members are to be subject to the elders of the church. To submit means to put another's needs above your own. To put other's needs above your own. If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, please go uh, to the right. It's over one book, and we're going to kind of land on Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Actually, starting in verse 3 through verse 11. I, I want to show you even to a greater degree as to the submission of Jesus. Because we're, if we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, I think we should go back to the basis of how Christ submitted himself in his life for us. Philippians 2, verse 3, says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. So do nothing out of selfish ambition... 
So ultimately, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have given your life to Christ, and now Christ says it's not about you anymore, it's about His work through you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Not how you can, how you can look better, not how you can feel better. Ultimately, it's not about us. The next verse says this in Ephesians 2, 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. You should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Seeing a need around you in meeting that need. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we are to submit to one another... But also, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you, you think how amazing your work life or your work situation would be if you went around your boss and you said, what do you need from me? If you went to your boss, instead of him always coming to you with all these things and you feel the weight of it, like, what are you going to say that I need to do now? What if you went to your boss and you, you as a Christian... Not saying, well, Jesus told me to, because that'd be kind of crazy for a non-Christian, right? But you just go before your boss and say, what do you need from me? How can I help you? How can I help you? What you're doing in that moment is, you're putting the interest of your boss above your own interest. Think how amazing that would be at your work. Think how amazing this would be in your marriage. If you were to just not automatically check out when you came home from work and sat down in your easy chair and put your feet up, but think if you actually went into the kitchen or wherever the rest of your family is and you kind of singled out your spouse or one of your kids and you said, you know what, how can I help you today? How can I help you? How can I help you? You're doing what this scripture says. You're ultimately making it about them and you're submitting to their needs. And you're putting their needs above your own. And that is such the Jesus thing to do. Think how amazing that would be. Parents. You see, we kind of, we kind of really, maybe it's just me, but I, I can get so caught up in, in what I have to do as a man. And, and as a dad, and as a husband, and as a pastor, and as all these things. But what if, if we detach from that just a little bit, and we just, we're trying to be a little bit more specific to go to our kids and say, what can I do for you? Think of how, how you would connect with your child's heart in such a deeper way, because then it's not a matter of them doing something for you, it's a matter of you saying, you know what, I care for you, what can I do for you? Students, if you were to go and you were to say to your parents, what can I do for you without them prompting you to do it? Think how great that would be for you. Think how much less frustration you would have. And you know what? Here's the amazing thing about, about mutual submission. If you submit to someone else, it stirs up a submission in them for you. So one builds on the other. One builds on the other. The rest of the scripture, starting at verse 5, this will not be on the screen. It says, your attitude, follower of Jesus Christ, this is, this is you. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, 
but He made Himself nothing. He poured Himself out for you and for me. He made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a what? Servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus did not have to step out of heaven onto earth. He chose to. He submitted Himself to the Father to meet the needs of our souls. Without the sacrifice of Jesus, without Him making the choice to come down to earth, being, being born in human likeness, He was God and man at the same time. If He would not have done that, we would have no way of being right with God. We would be left with our own devices, with our own works, to try and earn our salvation. And that simply doesn't work. And that's what this is talking about. I was also reminded in John 13, verses 1 through 7. And I was reminded of this because ultimately this is a matter of, of servanthood. And, and John 13, verses 1 through 7 talks about when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. I, many, many years ago, I had, as a matter of fact, my daughter was just a baby. She laughed all the way through this. She had no, absolutely no idea what I was doing. But I'd gone to a conference and, and the conference speaker spoke on John 13, of, wa- of how Jesus washed his disciples' feet and talked about servanthood and how a man is supposed to, to serve his, his wife and serve his, his family well. And I was so moved by this talk. And I knew, when, I, when I, re- I was in this conference with a bunch of dudes and I'm sitting there and I thought, man, I know what I have to do when I go home. That I would have to humble myself and I would have to grab a rag and I would have to grab... A, a, a bowl and I knew that I would have to fill that bowl up with water and I'd have to dip that rag in that water and I knew that I had to go home and I had to wash my wife's feet. That, following in the, in the example of Jesus, set me on a path of understanding like nothing else that I've ever experienced. Of course, I was... I, I was a mess. I was in tears. My, my wife was in tears. Um, my daughter was laughing. She had absolutely no clue what was going on. And, and my son's like, Dad, what did you do wrong? And I said, well, I'll explain it to you later. So I'll tell you later. I've never told you up to now. So I've just, I knew that was, that was a walk of repentance as, as a dad and as a husband. That I had to set that example and say, you know what? The only way that I'm going to lovingly lead you is if I do so as a servant. Because that's what Jesus did for me. And that example really set me on a course. And ultimately, that is a perfect example. Not that I'm perfect in my example. I'm not saying that. But Jesus' example. On the night before His crucifixion. The night before he would be arrested, the night before he would be beaten, on the evening before the crowd would be yelling, crucify, crucify, crucify. 
Jesus stopped to wash all of his disciples' feet, even the one who would betray him. So we submit to one another, not because they're good people, not because we're good people. We don't submit to our kids because we want to meet all of their needs. We don't submit to our friends, our boss, our husbands, our wives for any other reason outside of we're supposed to submit to others out of reverence for Christ. Because that's what he did for us. But the bottom line is this. You, you will submit to, on, to others only to the degree that you've submitted to Christ. You, you, will, you will submit to, to others only to the degree that you have submitted to Christ. I, I, let me just ask you this. Can we just kind of stop for a second, have everyone's attention? What's your walk with God like right now? What, what is your walk with God like right now? I know life is crazy. Trust me. I'm just coming off like just the last month has been just nothing but like me moving on a freight train at 150 miles an hour. What is your walk with God like right now? You see, all of this idea of mutual submission, unless you're, you are continually pursuing your relationship with Jesus, this idea of mutual submission is just going to roll off and it's not going to change you. But the more that you dig into your, your personal relationship with God, the more this becomes the basis that will govern all of your relationships. But you can only submit to other people to the degree that you've submitted to Christ. What is your walk with God like right now? What's it like? When's the last time that you privately have had a time of confession? When's the last time? And just come before God, just you and Jesus, and say, you know what? And just work through just your sins, your failures, your flaws. Maybe you've succumbed to some temptations. When's the last time you've done that? Scripture tells us if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. When's the last time you've done that? When's the last time you've sat in a service just like this and it seems like God just pinned you down on a truth and He pinned you down and you knew that that truth was for you? When's the last time that after being pinned down from that, you've actually repented of the sin that He revealed to you? When's the last time? You see, the answer to those questions ultimately will be the determination of how your walk with God is right now. But you only submit to others to the degree that you've submitted to Christ. And I, I know that, I know it's difficult. And I, I want you to know this. Submission is to be rooted in humility. Jesus showed that. But for you, many of you, the idea of submission means that it's holding you back. It's holding you back. Many of you, you're, you're kind of like, um, story I, I may have told you before, but I don't know. I used to have this dog. His name was Stu. He was a cute little dog when he was really young, but then uh, he actually grew up just a little bit um, and then a lot. And then a lot more. And the dog had like Hercules-like strength. And I'm pretty sure that he was actually demon-possessed. But I'm not positive yet. And Stu was like really cute, really playful. So what we tried to do with Stu is we knew we couldn't have him in the house because we wouldn't have a house. And I'd probably be sleeping out in the doghouse. So I knew that we had to keep Stu outside. He got plenty of affection. 
plenty, plenty, plenty of affection. But you see, Stu, he thought the only thing that he could do was to break free. As a matter of fact, I had connected Stu. I'd connected like a long line that he could run on in the backyard. So Stu, having like Samson freakish-like strength for a little, you know, even a young dog, he would snap that chain. And then I would go and I'd get a bigger chain. And then I'd go to work and, and Marla would go to work and then I would get a phone call from my dad or the dog catcher saying, hey, uh, your dog broke free again. Okay, sorry, George. That was dog keeper, or the, the animal control guy's name. Sorry, George. And, and then I would, he would eventually come back. We'd have to go find him and I'd get a bigger chain and then I got a cable and then I got a bigger cable and he kept snapping it and he kept snapping it and he kept snapping it. Then I thought to myself, I, I have the answer. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get a big cable, big cable, and I'm going to tether it with an eye bolt through my shed. But I'm not just going to put the eye bolt on the shed. I'm also, uh, and if you have any sort of mechanical mindedness, I put two large area washers on both sides of this shed. And I thought, surely, there's no way that he's going to break free. There's no way. I mean, I had this thing engineered. I'd had it fixed. He was good to go. I went to work. Marla went to work. I got a phone call from my dad. George said Stu's loose again. I said, what? So, finally, we end up finding Stu. Apparently, he had made a little love connection down the road with another little dog. The feelings were not mutual, apparently, from the owner at least. And, and then, come to find out, Stu snapped, not just snapped the line, but he had pulled the eye bolt through the shed. You see, many of you... You're kind of like, Stu, you're kind of like, you know what? This idea of, of submitting to someone else, you feel like you're being held back. You feel like, oh, if you do that, that's so confining. You see, Stu, he thought he would be so confined, like, oh, I just can't, can't stand to be so tied down. And many of you, the, the, the idea of mutual submission, for you, it's kind of like holding you back. But I will tell you this, the only way that you're going to receive the joy the joy, the joy, the joy that you long after is if you submit to others' needs. That's it. Because if you don't help meet the needs of other people, your life will ultimately be about you and you will be miserable. Submission brings joy. It brings joy. It brings joy. It'll make your life happier. And isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we want? So I'm going to give you a list of things not to do. These are, these are things that, that hinder your joy. Things that hinder submission. Mutual submission. This, some of these may be the very reason why that... that you husbands and wives, you, you're just kind of at odds with each other. So please listen. Things not to do. Do not push your way on others. You cannot force someone else to submit. 
You cannot force someone else to submit. We're going to kind of get into this more when we talk about roles of husband and wife next week. And you're going to see this really kind of fleshed out in, a, in I, I hope, a unique way. But you can't, for, you can't force somebody to submit. Because submission is not, it's not trying to break someone's will. Submission is not trying to break someone's will. It's bending your will to meet another need. So maybe the reason why you're at odds in your relationship is because you're forcing your wife to submit to me. You will submit. The Bible says submit. I can go to the Word of God and it says submit. And I would say in that moment, guys, if you're saying that to your wife, you are not fit for them to submit to. You need to confess that. Your heart is not right. You can't force somebody to submit. Another thing is this. Don't make wrong assumptions. Here's how it's played out in real life. She's late again. I bet she's with him. She's late again. Again. Man, she's late again. I bet she's with him. Making a wrong assumption. There's a, there's a complete breakdown in your marriage, in your relationship when you do that. And you will not submit to her and, and, and or vice versa. There will not be the submission that's needed to happen. Making a wrong assumption. My boss is out to get me. I always get looked over for that promotion. I will not submit to them. I, I understand there's probably some things I could do to help his, his job maybe go a little bit better. And maybe that would benefit me in the long run. But you know what? My boss is out to get me. He's out to get me. And if that's your mentality, you will not submit to your boss. As a matter of fact, you'll dig a trench and you'll assume that he's got a trench and all you do is you'll just lob bombs at each other. You won't be able to submit. That relationship will not get any better. Here's another one. I bet she's going to do that again. Why should I give them a second chance? I know they're going to do it again. They're going to do it again. He's going to do it again. I'm sick of trying. Why am I always the one who's supposed to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive? I can't do it. I'm sick of that. You're not submitting to their needs. You can't submit to their needs. And they certainly won't submit to yours. You've just made an enemy instead of a friend. Here's one you've probably heard or said. He's going to be a jerk until the day he dies. He's going to be a jerk. She's going to be a jerk until the day he or she dies. And what you're saying in that situation is, I've just given hope on given up hope on them. And they may as well just have walked out of your life and you will not be able to influence them anymore. Another one is this. Don't spew poisonous words. Proverbs 10.21 says this, The lips of the righteous nourish many. The lips of the righteous nourish many. Many. That means the righteous. That means if you're a follower of Jesus, that's, that's the way of the righteous and the way of the fool. We're to be the way of the righteous. And it says it nourishes many. What does nourishment do? It builds one another up. When you just spew poisonous words over other people, you won't submit to them and they won't submit to you. You've just made it an enemy instead of a friend. Watch the words that you say. It also says in Proverbs 10, Verse 19, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. 
Watch what you say. And don't rank people's worth. One of the greatest tragedies I think is happening right now is we look at people who are different than us and we start to rank their worth because they're not like us. And all of a sudden, you cannot, if you're a follower of Jesus, you cannot influence them in a godly way if you view them as your enemy. And you you will not submit to them. Those are complete breakdowns in submission. So here's the question. I, I want this to kind of linger, maybe even after this talk. It all comes down to one question. Mutual submission comes down to this. Here's something that you can say in every situation. It'll make every relationship better. Do you need anything? Do you need anything? Do you need anything? Maybe you could even take it a step further and say, do you need anything from me? Husbands, you come home from work. Your wife's making dinner. Maybe vice versa. You come home. Instead of just detaching and going in the other room until everything's done and doing your deal, maybe you just go into the kitchen and say, Do you need anything from me? Do you need anything? Maybe this would be something that would help you. Listen to the words of what people say around you. If, if your husband says, man, I've been on my feet all day and my feet are killing me, you don't have to wait for them to say, hey, could you rub my feet? They've already said what they need. And your response in that situation would be wonderful to say, you know what? Hmm. Why don't you sit down and I'll rub your feet. Oh man, my back, I just, I'm just so tense. I just, oh, I've just, I don't know what it is today, I've just been so tense. You see, you don't need to even ask, do you need anything from me? All you have to do is say, hey, why don't you sit down and let me rub your back? Maybe just listen to the words of what your kids say when they're struggling with something. And if they're just complaining or they're struggling with something, maybe you just sit them aside and, and you just go through and, and you just take it upon yourself to say, do you need anything from me? Maybe they just need five minutes of your time. Maybe guys, spending five minutes of your time, placing your needs beneath their needs, even for five minutes, would change your relationship. It's so simple. It's so simple. Do you need anything from me? Do you need anything from me? And if you see a need, meet it. I can't even make this up, but this, this happened. Actually, I don't know. I've gone to Walmart so many times over the last like three or four days. It's been just absolutely absurd. And you know it's already not my favorite place in the world. But uh, I've gone to Walmart many times. But Marla and I were going into Walmart the other day. And here's, here's the way that submission works. Here's the way it works. This is, a, this is a great example. I didn't like do it because I was thinking about this talk. As a matter of fact, I didn't even think about this until this morning. But we're walking into Walmart and I see this, this elderly couple and he's got like one of those scooter store, scooter things. You know what I'm talking about? Little scooter. And uh, it didn't make the noise. I did. And uh, so th- that whole, the scooter thing and, and they're elderly and he's, he's in the scooter and his wife is, you know, she's kind of dainty. She's not able to handle it. And they're getting ready to put this scooter into a minivan. But they don't have like the, the back 
thing you can drive up on. They're literally about to pick this scooter and set it inside the sliding door on a minivan. So we're walking by. And, uh, and I'm, I'm walking by, and I thought, man, it stinks to be you. No, I really I didn't say that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just seeing if you're paying attention. So we're walking by, and I look up, and I thought, you know what? Hmm. I said, babe, we, we need to stop. So I go up, and it's kind of awkward, because I have no idea who they are. And it's kind of awkward. And, and I said, can I help? And he said, uh, yeah, you can help me grab that. I mean, he's like, literally, he can't hardly stand. So he gets off the scooter, and he's kind of taking it, and he's trying to lift it in into his van, and he's having a difficult time. And uh, so we're kind of wrestling with this thing a little bit, and he kind of steps back. I said, I think I can get it. And I pick, I pick it up, and I set it in there. And in that moment, could I have just walked into Walmart? Of course. I already didn't want to be there, Right? I could have just walked into Walmart and pretended and just like walked over and been like, huh, yeah, they'll get it eventually. But what did I do? I instinctively just said, do you need anything from me? And I saw a need and I helped to meet that need. It doesn't have to be difficult, but we do have to be intentional. When's the last time you've said that? Maybe the reason why the breakdown in your marriage is happening right now. Maybe there's a, there's a reason why you can't hold quality friendships is because you're making those friendships all about you. Maybe the reason why there's the breakdown in your family because you, you're just sick of hearing about them and maybe you've just said, you know what, I've given you enough second chances. But what if you pressed in just a little bit and you submitted and you placed their needs as a higher priority than yours and you said, Do you need anything from me? I know that your relationships would be be better. And maybe even more importantly than that, I know that the gospel, which ultimately, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're not living for ourselves. We're living to, we're, we're supposed to be a living example of the gospel. And that would be the best example that I could think of, of you showing the world the change that God has made in your heart. Because that, is countercultural. And that is what a walk with Jesus is supposed to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We pray in the name of Jesus. We know that that name is above every other name. And it's at that name that every knee will bow and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, I know that this, this talk is, is difficult, and I know that we, we, we have some challenges when it comes to this idea of submission, and we think, ah, oh, it's just holding us back, but God, please show us by your Holy Spirit that that actually will set us free. That it will set us free. That ultimately, that it will bring us joy. And there's a reason why, in the list of the fruit of the Spirit, That's number two, right behind love. Lord God, please allow us through your Holy Spirit to live out this truth so that we can say and we can do what it is that you want us to do. And we pray in Jesus' good name.